Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie Kramer on the other side of the glass. The protein I'll see you with the purpose text line 69306. You can always hit me up on Twitter as well. I am at BK Sports Talk. All right, so coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so, the Royals are giving us reason for optimism again. We'll get into that coming up in just about 10 minutes. We will get a little bit of Royals today. Not very much, but a little bit of Royals today. But right now, everybody seems to believe that the Rams, the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Saints, they're all going to be playoff teams again next year. Everybody seems to be of that opinion. Kramer, would you agree with that? Yes. Most Most people seem to agree that those are the teams that are going to be back in the playoffs next year. They all made the championship game this year. There's very little reason to believe that they're going to take a step back. A lot of people seem to agree all four of those teams are going to be back, right? Yeah, most definitely. Okay. So here's the issue. Over the last decade, at least one team that made it to the championship weekend failed to make it to the playoffs the next year. Every single year over the last decade, at least one of the teams that made it to championship weekend did not make it to the playoffs the next year. So based on that, at least one of the Patriots, Rams, Chiefs, and Saints are likely to miss the playoffs next year. My money would be on the Rams for that. I think given the fact that their offensive line was one of their keys to success over the last couple of years, and they've lost three starters along the interior over the last two years. Todd Gurley's injury questions. The defense has lost some pieces compared to what they once were. I think the Rams, given the division, potentially taking a step forward as well. I think the Rams out of those four teams would be my most likely team to take a step back. But let's continue. Because this was a study that I did yesterday. There were 40 teams that made it to championship weekend over the last decade. That makes sense. Four teams each year, 10 years, 40 teams over the last decade. Only 12 of those teams made it back to championship weekend the next year. 12 out of 40. So basically one out of every four teams that goes makes it back the next year. Kind of an amazing thing. Basically what that would suggest is that one of those teams that I just mentioned, not going to make it back to the playoffs next year. I think that's going to be the Rams. And only one other is going to make it to championship weekend next year. Only seven of those 40 made it to the Super Bowl the following year. That's amazing. Only seven of the teams that made it to championship weekend one year, the following year made it to the Super Bowl. So the step we're all anticipating that the Chiefs will make, it's only been done seven times over the last decade. By the way, the Patriots account for four of them. Four. The only teams not named the Patriots in the last decade to make it back to the championship game after they made it the previous year. 09 to 2010 Jets. You remember that team? 
That would be the Mark Sanchez, Rex Ryan team. Mark Sanchez is now doing college football, and Rex Ryan is now doing the NFL pregame show. So that's good. The 2011-2012 Ravens did it. They also went to the Super Bowl that 2012 year. The 2011-2012 49ers did it. Again, that was the Super Bowl matchup between the Ravens and the 49ers. And then the 49ers did it again. From 11, 12, and 13, they made it to the NFC Championship game all three years with one Super Bowl appearance. And then the Seahawks being the only other team to do it. That was the 2013-2014 Seahawks team who ended up going to the Super Bowl there. So the only three teams not named the Patriots that went to the championship game one year and then the following year went to the Super Bowl would be the 2011-2012 Ravens, the 49ers in that nice Harbaugh run, and the 2013-2014 Seahawks. The Chiefs are trying to accomplish something that very few teams are actually able to do. Most years, most years. Now, some years there's an obvious regression candidate. Like last year, Everybody seemed to agree the Jaguars are going to take a step back. Your quarterback's Blake Bortles. We didn't really buy into you in the first place. That's the team that's going to take the step back. A lot of team, a lot of people were anticipating that's not going to be able to be replicated once again. Plus, it's easier to replicate the offensive success than it is defensive success. There's been studies on this. That's the way that it works. It's very rare, though, that the team that all of us agree that team's going to make it next year. It's very rare that it actually happens. It almost never happens, in fact. You remember what the talk was of the Vikings last year at the beginning of the year? It was like, oh, they're going to take the next step. I believe that that team can get back to where they were last year, and then they could potentially go to the Super Bowl. They added a better quarterback. They added talent along the defensive line. Their receivers were among the best duo in the NFL. Like Everything was in place for the Vikings to be able to take that next step, and they didn't. The Packers in the past have been this team. The Steelers in the past. There have been times where during the Le'Veon Bell, Big Ben, Antonio Brown era, we were like, man, that team's going to take the next step. Early on in Andrew Luck's career, that team's going to be the team that's going to take the next step. It almost never happens. The difference here, the difference for the Chiefs, and the reason why I believe they can, once again, be the outlier, is because of Patrick Mahomes. I know this sounds simplistic, but sometimes the answers to these questions can be simple. Patrick Mahomes changes everything. He changes the calculus of the way that we are talking about this team. He changes the calculus for the Chiefs the way that Steph Curry changed the calculus for the 49ers. Or, excuse me, for the the, uh, Golden State Warriors. Teams can't play the Warriors the way that they play anybody else. Because Steph is the best shooter in the history of football or excuse me, in the history of basketball. We're going to get through this. Patrick Mahomes does the same thing in football. Patrick Mahomes is a different kind of quarterback than anything we've seen. Patrick Mahomes came from the air raid offense and was the first quarterback to truly succeed in the NFL ever after having done that for his college career. He has a cannon of an arm. He had the best rookie or first-year starting season that we've seen since Dan Marino. And the question is, can he repeat it? And I got to be honest with you, I think he can. 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards, I don't know. It's a lofty goal, lofty expectations. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to be every bit as good, though, as he was a year ago. The numbers might come down a little bit, but I think he's going to be every bit as good as he was a year ago. I will say one thing. One of the teams that a lot of people are picking to take over the AFC moving forward is the Colts. 
A lot of people seem to believe that Andrew Luck and the Colts are going to be the team that take over for the Chiefs. They're going to be the next team in the AFC. I don't get it. I don't. We just saw this matchup last year, and the Chiefs kicked their ass at Arrowhead. So why is everybody agreeing that the Colts are the next team? I don't get it. I was listening to the Ringer NFL pod earlier this week, and I thought there was a good explanation as to why people are picking that team. I disagree with it. I firmly disagree with it, in fact. But I'll explain why on the other side. I think this is a good insight into what people are thinking. Listen to this. This is Kevin Clark on the Ringer NFL show. I feel more comfortable saying, like, the Colts are going to be good because I know what the Colts look like because they didn't do much. They're just getting better on what they were last year. And the Chiefs are changing their defensive system. There's just so much going on there that, of course, they're going to be really good. Of course, I mean, I don't. I think it's going to be like last year where it's the Chargers and the Chiefs for for the division. It's all projection on that defensive side. You don't know. You want to say that all this stuff is going to work. You know, Honey Badger is going to bring whatever this. But mm. there's so many moving parts. And when there are so many moving parts, it's really hard to predict how they're all going to fit together. I think that's it. I think that's why people aren't picking the Chiefs this year. I think that's what it is. It's the defense was really bad last year. We've seen Steve Spagnuolo's defense take a while in the past at other stops where he's been, whether it be the Giants the first time or the second time or in New Orleans. We've seen that before. It takes a little bit of time. And they have like eight new starters on that side of the ball. I don't even know what it looks like. And so it's easier for people nationally to be able to say, I saw the Colts last year. I saw basically the same team. They were really good. I think they're going to be better. I think that's what people are doing with the Colts. They're basically looking at it and they're saying, the Colts were really good a year ago. They added Justin Houston. They added Devin Funches in the offseason. They really didn't lose anybody of note. I think they're going to take another step forward. So I think the Colts are going to be one of the best teams in the NFL. That's what people are doing. It's easy. It's an easy take to have because the team looks similar. You know what it looks like when they're good. With the Chiefs, especially on defense, you don't know what it's going to look like. It could be really bad. It could be. It could also be much better. And so for people nationally, whenever you're looking at this and you're you're listening to um, your favorite analyst who says that the Chiefs aren't going to be as good this year because of the defense, or if you're reading something and it's the power rankings and they have the Colts ahead of the Chiefs or whatever it may be, this is what goes into that mindset. It is, we saw them be good last year. They really didn't change that much. It's an easy projection. I think they're going to be good this year, and they're going to take a step forward. What people are missing is that progress is not linear. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes teams take a big step forward and a slight step back and then take another step forward the following year. I think that's in play for the Colts next year. I think it's in play that last year we saw them beat up on a lot of really bad teams playing at home and they were able to make the playoffs with a team that wasn't as talented as we all liked to believe. And next year, some of the one-score luck isn't going to go their way. They're going to lose somebody to injury, and they're going to end up as a 9- or 10-win team that's not quite as good as people anticipated. That's how this works. So if you're ever wondering, why are people taking the Colts over the Chiefs? It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm right there with you. I think that's the mindset. I think that's what goes into it. I think that's what's happening. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. we got Kramer on the other side of the glass. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we are going to be joined by Pete Sweeney of Arrowhead Pride. But coming up next, 
the Royals are actually giving us a reason for optimism again. And I'll tell you what it is coming up next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. Kramer on the other side of the glass coming up here in just about 15 minutes. Pete Sweeney of Arrowhead Pride will join the show to preview Chiefs training camp and to discuss what he had seen thus far this week with rookies, injured players, and quarterbacks out in St. Joe. If you missed it, later on today, coming up at 315, we will have a tweet up out at Chiefs training camp. Look for the guys in the blue polos. That will be us at 610 Sports Radio. We'd be happy to see you guys out there talk a little Chiefs before Chiefs training camp. So I want to talk a little bit of Royals this morning, just briefly, because I do think there is one reason for optimism with this team. And yes, it is brief. Yes, it is early in the second half, but there is a trend that has started that I do believe is the number one thing to watch in the second half because it is one of the things that matters the most moving forward, and that is the starting pitching. I don't know if you guys have noticed. You, a lot of you probably thought that I was going to say Bubba Starling, and we'll get into them him get into him momentarily, but Jacob Junis, last night notwithstanding, Brad Keller and Danny Duffy in the second half, been pretty darn good. Nine starts between the three of them, 54 innings total. They have a 47 to 13 strikeout to walk ratio, and between all three of them, They have a 2.3 ERA in the second half. That's what you need. That's what you need from these three guys. And specifically with Brad Keller, he's starting to get back to what we all anticipated that he was going to be this season. Brad Keller is the guy that coming into the year, looking at the rotation, you said to yourself, that's the one that we need to step up. That's the guy that we need to be able to find a way to make it through this year and feel strongly at the end of the season that he is going to be at least a number two or three on a good team. And I think his last four starts have given you every reason to believe that he's getting back on track. In his last four starts, the team is 4-0. He is 3-0. He is 27 innings and has allowed allowed a total of four earned runs. In his last four starts, four earned runs with a 19-8 strikeout-to-walk ratio. Opponents are batting just 230 against him. I say all that to say this. That's last year. That's what Brad Keller was last year in big-time stretches. He's got his ERA for the season below four again. This is the type of performance. This is the type of bounce back that we were all hoping to see from Brad Keller. And moving forward, this is the guy that you hope that he is. You don't need him to be a rock star. You don't need him to be a guy that's going to be a bonafide ace. He's never going to be that guy, most likely. He doesn't strike enough players out. He's not the guy that, he he just doesn't profile as that type of a player. But he can be somebody that you go into every season and you say to yourself, he's going to get us 200 innings, he's going to do so at a sub-4 ERA, he's going to be a solid number two or three starter. In fact, you know what he is? He's what everybody thought the Royals were signing up for with Ian Kennedy. That's what he is. He's going to get you 200 innings, and he's going to do so by being a good pitcher. That's what people were hoping Ian Kennedy would be. Last year, in 20 starts, he had 140 innings. This year, he's currently on pace for 204. That's what you're asking for. It's really that simple. Brad Keller's not going to be a bonafide ace. That's not what his future looks like, and nobody should hold him to that standard. But he can be a guy that you win with. He can be a guy that you win because of, in fact. And if he can be that, 
If Jacob Junis continues this and is a legitimate number five starter, you don't need him to be any more than that, a number five starter. Once these younger guys start coming up, and that's going to start coming, I think, late next year, you're going to have a rotation that starts looking a little bit better. And whenever I talked early this year about the timeline of potentially being able to be solid again by 2021, this is why. You need guys like this to step up. You need Brad Keller to be good. You need Jacob Junis to be a back end of the rotation guy. You need some of your bullpen pieces to start to come together. You need some of your guys that are hitting to be able to be legitimate middle-of-the-order bats. They've developed all of these things this year. It seems like Brad Keller's coming back around. It seems like Jacob Junis could potentially at least be a back end of the rotation starter. That's what you needed. And oh, by the way, you get plays like this last night from Bubba Starling, which doesn't hurt. And the 3-2. Ramirez swings and lines it to center field. Bubba is there to make the catch. Tagging is Lindor. He is going to be out, and Bubba got him this time. Bubba Starling nearly threw out Tyler Naquin earlier in this inning, and now he guns down Francisco Lindor on a line drive to center field. And out of all that, the Indians get one. I understand a lot of you probably didn't watch that game last night because the Royals are so far back, but I would highly recommend going back and watching that highlight. If you didn't see it, here's some numbers for you. Bubba Starling, this comes from Jeffrey Flanagan of MLB, MLB.com. Bubba Starling from StatCast, the velocity on his throw from uh, throw home for the outfield assist was 100 miles per hour. That is the hardest thrown outfield assist in the MLB this season. In fact, it is the hardest thrown outfield assist by a Royal since StatCast became a thing back in 2015. Bubba Starling is starting to finally show the defensive prowess that we've always been told about. We've always been told that Bubba from day one, he's ready defensively. He could play in the major league outfield today. That's what we were told when he was like 19, 20 years old. The, diff- the problem had always been his bat, and his bat has been... Pretty good, actually, since he's been up in the big leagues. But his bat was always the issue. Defensively, he's finally, and he talked about this a little bit last night after the game, but he's finally starting to take charge. He looks more comfortable out there. He looks like he's starting to be a little bit more aggressive whenever the ball's coming in left center or right center. He's taking charge. He's going to be the guy that goes and gets that. And at the plate, he quietly has a 10-game hitting streak going on right now. He's hitting 350 in those 10 games. No, it's coming with absolutely no power whatsoever. But he's getting on base. He's drawing some walks. If this is what Bubba Starling is, and you don't need him to be a great hitter, he's not going to hit 325 for the course of his career. That's not the kind of hitter he is. But if he can hit you 260, be a solid major league contributor, and play this kind of defense... This is a guy you can have in your outfield. This is a guy you could start every day and feel totally comfortable with it. This is the guy, in fact, that they were hoping they were getting in Billy Hamilton, even though Billy Hamilton had shown no no reason to believe that he could ever be this. This is what you were hoping from Bubba Starling when you drafted him, and he ultimately kind of became something that could be a useful major league piece. And that's all you need from him. Just like with Brad Keller, you don't need him to be anything more than a number two starter. Just like with Jacob Junis, you don't need him to be anything more than a number five starter. You really don't need anything more than a capable, everyday starting player out of Bubba Starling. That would be a huge success for the Royals. That would be a huge success at this point. 
I did want to mention one thing with the Chiefs here because there have been several reports earlier this week. Michael Thomas is apparently holding out. He wants his $20 million a year contract. Julio Jones is expected to get a new deal. Amari Cooper could get a new deal deal soon. A.J. Green is somebody who's going into the last year of his contract. I think there's one thing that could be potentially very important with Tyreek Hill if the Chiefs plan on ultimately re-signing him, and that is timing. Timing could be everything. Because right now, Odell Beckham's deal is the absolute pinnacle for wide receivers. It's about $18 million a year, and it is what everybody is trying to break. That is the number that everybody is trying to clear in the NFL right now when it comes to receivers. There's no doubt in my mind Michael Thomas is going to break it. There's no doubt in my mind Julio Jones will get more than that. I wouldn't be stunned if Amari Cooper ends up getting more than what Julio Jones got. I don't think he deserves it, but deserve ain't got nothing to do with it. Sometimes it's all about timing, and for Amari Cooper, he had really good timing. If you want to re-sign Tyreek Hill at what is a reasonable rate, especially given what happened this offseason and especially given in the past with Tyreek Hill, now is the time to do so. I understand the PR hit that you'll probably have to take in doing so, but Tyreek Hill, if you want to re-sign him right now, I bet you could get him for 17 ish million dollars a year. If you wait, he's going to cost more than Odell Beckham. That's going to happen because Odell Beckham will no longer be the highest paid receiver in the NFL. It'll be Michael Thomas. It'll be Julio Jones. It'll be A.J. Green. It'll be Amari Cooper. But the timing is suddenly becoming a little bit more urgent than it once felt like. I would would understand if the Chiefs decided very soon we want to re-sign Tyreek Hill to a long-term extension. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. We've got Kramer on the other side of the glass. Coming up next... Pete Sweeney of Arrowhead Pride is going to join the show. I want to ask him what he's seen out at Chiefs training camp so far and what he expects from Nicole Hardman versus Demarcus Robinson for the number three receiver position. We'll do it with Pete Sweeney next. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie. we got Kramer on the other side of the glass. The protein I'll see with the purpose text line is 69306 if you'd like to get involved in the show. But right now we go out to the leadoff hotline to talk to our friend Pete Sweeney of Arrowhead Pride. Pete has been out in St. Joe all week checking out the rookies, the injured players, which includes Travis Kelsey and the quarterbacks. Pete, how you doing today, man? Doing pretty well. I'm excited to get these full team practices started today, and then we're just a couple days away from padded practices where it's really the, the first point of the off, off season where you can kind of start to tell some things for real. Uh, so we have some, we had some appetizers. We got another one today. Excited to get out there. I'm excited to be out there with you. If you uh, if you aren't aware, Pete Sweeney will be out there with us doing the Arrowhead Pride in 610 Sports tweet up. So head out there to training camp. Uh, meet us out there in St. Joe around 315. We'll all be meeting up out there. Uh, most of us in the with the 610 gear will be in blue polos. So if you find all a bunch of dudes that are standing around in blue, blue polos, that'll be us. We'd love to see you out there. All right, Pete. So let's start with this because you have seen the quarterbacks earlier this week. They uh, reported a little bit early. They were doing some work with the injured players and with the rookies. What have you seen so far from Patrick Mahomes? 
Uh, it looks just a little bit more confident. I mean, you, you heard on the radio how he sounds, and then Travis Kelsey even noted it's more of a direct confidence this year. Like last year, Kelsey said that Mahomes had confidence to maybe get things going, whereas this year he knows what he is, uh, which is obviously the best player in the National Football League, and it's more of a confidence that they can get to the Super Bowl. And you could really tell that when, when he talks. And uh, I, I noticed early on, because uh, like you were saying, the veterans aren't here yet, the timing with McCole Hartman, which is so important for wide receivers and quarterbacks, that seemed to be coming along. The trend where you, you have Mahomes and he mixes in different receivers, that's there. Uh, wasn't really great with Travis Kelsey the first day, and then the second day looked a little bit better as far as timing goes. Travis Kelsey and Mahomes both had the day off uh, on Friday. So I am really interested because I said earlier today the only position battle that I'm truly interested in at camp this year is wide receiver three because whoever wins it between Demarcus Robinson and Michael Hardman is going to get a lot of playing time. They'll they'll be in about sixty percent of the snaps. Oh, whoever, no, no sheepdog love, no sheepdog, no Garrett Keeter action for you. <laughs> uh, no, we're not going to talk about him in this particular <laughs> question, but maybe we can get to that later, Pete. Yeah, um, yeah. I I will say like whoever wins that battle, I think is legitimately going to be relevant within the offense. And whoever loses it, I think, plays like 10% of the snaps. So they ultimately become a guy that gets like one reception a game. You've seen a lot more of Mecole Hardman thus far than I have, certainly. What's your impression of him, and do you get the impression that he actually has a chance in that kind of a battle? Oh, man, I, I, I look at Robinson versus Hardman, and to me, Robinson is a little bit of a heavy favorite, I, I think, and, and that's just because of what goes into the Andy Reid playbook. There's an advantage there to just having been in the system for a couple of years now. You've seen with guys in the past, especially you know, my five or six years here covering the Chiefs, that it takes a while for guys to click. It takes a while for guys to gel. And Robinson is familiar with the playbook. He's only adding on to some of the things that they did last year. Sometimes it's a tough transition for a rookie coming out of college. I, I look at Harbin's role this year, and I think he'll be probably the kick returner I'm interested in seeing if he will be the punt returner. I think maybe it makes sense considering Tyree Kill will be such a significant part uh, of the offense. But what I look for Hardman this year, and I think it's more likely, is just you know, way better, way, way better De'Anthony Thomas type of role. Uh, and, and I think Robinson, at least to start the season week one, will be your wide receiver three. Now that could change. I mean, we saw with Tyree Kill in 2016 when he was a rookie started in that type of role, and then by the end of it, he was making one of the bigger catches in that late comeback win against the Denver Broncos, and, and uh, you know, his offense, um, his offensive involvement has built since. So, again, at the 53-man deadline, I think it's Robinson, but, you know, stay tuned on that one. I don't think that's set in stone. We're talking with uh, Pete Sweeney of Arrowhead Pride. You can read his work there, arrowheadpride.com. You can also follow him on Twitter. He's at PG Sween. Uh, Pete, I did want to talk to you about the big news from yesterday, which is that Chris Jones did in, indeed report to camp. He ultimately decided that it was worth it for him to show up and not yeah. to lose three quarters of his salary, which makes a whole lot of sense by holding out until August 6th when he had to be back and ultimately they had basically no leverage. So to me, it made all the sense in the world for him to show up yesterday. But I am curious, based on the fact that he did show up and I saw some reporting from Nate Taylor over the weekend that it sounds like the Chiefs right. are going to sit down with him and talk contract potentially do you think that something ultimately gets worked out here, or what are you anticipating moving forward over the next few days and weeks when it comes to Chris Jones's contract situation? 
As you examine NFL contracts, and I always try to remind people of this, you have to look at, okay, guaranteed money. Because that's all that matters, right? Everything else you can kind of cut, and if the Chiefs walk away, that's all they care about. And so Jeff Chidea is reporting NFL.com. I'd imagine it was directly from Brett Beach. He had a report from Beach about moments before, and then moments later he had some numbers to it. And so I just imagine he was having a conversation with Brett Beach. He said, okay, the Chiefs and Chris Jones right now are about $20 million in guaranteed money apart. That's a lot of money. That is a big gap. And if you notice in Adam Schefter's tweeting and reporting, a lot of times he'll report, he'll say, source, no, 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 not this time. He used the word, the Katz Brothers, which is the agency that represents Jones. They wanted to be well clear of how they feel. And the Katz Brothers have been saying, okay, Jones is going to focus on a Super Bowl at this point. I think internally, in Chris Jones's representation, they've come up with this decision. All right, they want, they want to let this go? Well, Bet on yourself and become a UFA. Make them franchise tag you. And I think what ultimately ends up happening is Chris Jones has another solid year. Trending that that, that should that's the way it's trending. He looks like to be in the best shape of his life. You expect probably ten sacks. I think that's safe. Who knows if he surpasses fifteen? A little harder to do. And then the Chiefs will be in a position that the Seahawks were last year, where they franchise tag and join that new trend of the NFL, where you sometimes trade these franchise tag players, like we saw with Frank Clark and, and D Ford. That's interesting. So you, based on where we are today, and obviously all of this could change tomorrow. Like the, the, this stuff right. is all so, it changes so quickly and these deals come together right. sometimes so quickly. It, it, it's so hard to know. But as of today, you would anticipate that he ultimately plays out the end of his rookie deal? Yeah, and, and one of the things that I should note in this, and as I say that with caution, one of the things I should note in this is that the understanding that I've gotten from talking to different people is, that they've been waiting for Chris Jones to get in the building. Like, they've been waiting to get him in the building, and they think once that happens that they can figure out this deal. Now that remains to be seen. I just don't expect it because of the gap, and at least his representation, you know, that what they're putting out there is just so far away from what the Chiefs are thinking on this. Now the ultimate decision is up to Jones. So now that he's in the building and he can talk to Andy Reid, and Reid can kind of work on him a little bit, who knows if that changes. But right now at this juncture, I think he plays his deal out and bets on himself. Yeah, We're talking with Pete Sweeney of Arrowhead Pride here on the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kylie Kramer on the other side of the glass. All right, Pete, let's talk about this offense because earlier this week I was reading from Mike Freeman of Bleacher Report, and he said, quote, while no one can say for certain if Hardman was an insurance policy for Tyreek Hill, you'd be a fool to think otherwise. One scout we spoke with compared him to Deshaun Jackson, and some teams viewed the pick as one of the best in the draft. Now Tyreek Hill is back. Hardman is around to bolster an already deep skill position group. And the team with yeah. maybe the most athletic offense in football is even more dangerous. Kansas City's attack has the potential to be so explosive that some teams as personnel men told Bleacher Report that they believe the single season scoring record of 606 points set by the Broncos in 2013 could fall, end quote. Pete, I'm curious because I know you've been very high on this team in the offseason, especially since we found out that Tyreek Hill is going to be able to play 16 games for the Chiefs. Do yeah. you believe that they can repeat what they did offensively last year? Oh, absolutely. I mean, everyone's back. And and it's a big question, right? I mean, you, you always have the two things that you always have to say and preface it with. Patrick Mahomes' health is imperative. Travis Kelsey's health is imperative because they don't have a backup tight end. I said that. All offseason, and they're still looking for one right now. As of today, with training camp starting open to the public today. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I think this offense is going to be unbelievable. The fact that you can 
have a lineup if Byron Pringle's in the mix where the average personnel is about a 4-3 speed. And when you have a guy that can hit anyone on the field up to 80 yards, I don't know how any team in the league, even even still, bless his little heart there in New England, I don't know how he's going to stop this Chiefs offense. There are just too many guys that you have to take away. And if the defense is right there, like I've told you, and I, I, I've been staying with this, I think if Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey remain healthy, you're looking at a 14-0 and team. And then it's Chad Henney. Can Chad Henney get those final two wins for Kansas City? Last question for you, Pete. The number one thing you're watching whenever you get out to training camp later today and for people who are going out there is what? I think there's two battles in particular that, that you're watching for. Free safety, uh, Daniel Sorensen versus Juan Thornhill. And what's funny about that, and I think you'd probably agree with me, BK, for me and in the mix of this, it feels like Thornhill's the favorite, even though Sorensen's like the five yeah. veteran. So that's a, that's a battle to watch. And then backup tight end again. Uh, I've noted I'm a WWE fan. I'm calling it a Royal Rumble for the backup tight end because there's so many players that could You come don't actually care about um, that. I don't believe you. You don't care about it. I don't believe you. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I'm interested in seeing how John Lovett plays in that mix. A lot of people have Lovett, this Princeton quarterback, Con- Convert, number 40. They have him as this tight end possibility where I kind of think that the Chiefs view him more of an H-back, Taysom Hill type. So I don't know if he's necessarily even in that mix. I think that's a whole other question altogether. Like it, it, It's more like this H-back role, do they want it or not? That's whether or not John Lovin makes the team. So that's another dynamic to all of it. He's Pete Sweeney. Check out his work, arrowheadpride.com. You can check him out on Twitter as well. You should do so. Follow him at PG Sweeney. Pete, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for making it for us. See you up there, BK, and hopefully we see some some people at the tweet up. Take Absolutely. Care. We'll see you uh, coming up at 3.15. If you missed it, 3.15, we'll be meeting with the listeners and the readers of Arrowhead Pride out at Chiefs Camp. Check out for the people in the blue polos. That'll be us out at Chiefs Camp. I don't believe Pete. I think he's a liar. I don't believe that he's interested in finding out who the backup tight end is going to be for Travis Kelsey. We'll talk about that a little bit more coming up on the other side. Plus... This Chris Jones situation, man, I legitimately don't know what to think. I understand both perspectives, and I don't know where it goes from here. It's the worst thing to say as a radio host, but I just don't know. I'll explain it coming up. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. The all-new 435 Podcast Network, now up at 610sports.com. Welcome back. It is the leadoff on 610 Sports Radio. I'm Brandon Kiley. we got Kramer on the other side of the glass. Coming up here in just about 15 minutes, it is Out of Bounds with Dusty Likens and Nick Price. They will be taking you up until 3 o'clock. We'll be meeting you guys out at training camp coming up at 3.15. 3.30 is when the first practice officially begins. So check us out. Come out. Uh, say hello. Talk a little Chiefs with us. We'd love to see you guys. We'll be the people wearing the blue polos that say 610 Sports on them. I want to get into the Chris Jones situation here momentarily, but I do got to get to this first. The writer of the Fast and the Furious movies tells Polygon that going to space is, quote, not out of the question. Nobody's surprised by this, right? I'm not. The Fast and the Furious movies have become absurd. Going to space was the natural endpoint. There was no other way that this could have possibly gone. Like, Hobbs and Shaw just happened, and one of the biggest quotes in the preview is, we got to have more guns. Like, this is the show that we all love. This is the movie that we all love. It is it is just completely mindless for two hours. We enjoy that. We all have accepted what 
the Fast and the Furious is. It's a great franchise. It is a truly American franchise. Going to space was the natural endpoint. This is, of course, where it had to end. All right, speaking of natural endpoints, I don't know where this Chris Jones saga ends. I have no idea. It's the worst possible take that I could have in terms of being a radio host. I would love to be able to sit here and say, Chris Jones, not going to be back next year. Going to be tra- I don't know. I just don't know. I can't give you a good answer because I understand Chris Jones's perspective. Chris Jones is basically saying, listen, I have 20 sacks over the last two years. 22 sacks, in fact. I'm one of the best interior defensive linemen in all of football. I should be paid as such. I want to be paid the $100 million that you just gave Frank Clark. I believe I'm worth that. And there are some reasons to believe that he is. The Chiefs' perspective is, well, yeah, we understand. You're one of the best young defensive linemen in the NFL, but also you've only had one year of truly elite production. And in order to get that contract, you've got to do it again. If you want to be paid now, we are willing to give you $17 million a year, something around there. But if you want to get the $20 million a year that Frank Clark just got, we need to see more. We need to see it for another season. I understand that point of view, too. I understand where both of these sides are coming from. I truly do. And so when you get down to what the negotiation is going to ultimately be decided upon, it's the guaranteed money. And I just don't know how they make this up. You heard just a moment ago, and if you missed the interview with him, Pete Sweeney say the Chiefs are $20 million away on guaranteed money. That's partially true. There is a little bit of a difference, though, because the Grady Jarrett deal that the team is looking at is only a four-year contract. And so it's guaranteed, basically, for like two and a half of those four years. If it were a five-year contract and it were still at that $17 million per year rate, he'd have another 5 or $6 million guaranteed, so he'd be about 48. So they're closer to like $15 million apart. That's a lot. It's not 20. It's still a lot. And so I wonder if, in the end, they decide we will do a five-year $90 million contract with 50 to $55 million guaranteed. If Chris Jones wants to get paid now, that's probably what he's going to have to accept. Otherwise, if he wants to wait it out, if he wants to bet on himself this year, he can do so. And if he's really good, if he ends up getting 10 to 12 sacks again this year, he can get that Frank Clark deal. Next year, the upside for him is you can get 20-plus million dollars per year, be one of the highest-paid defensive players in the history of football, and get the money that you've been seeking. It's absolutely in play. But if he finishes the year with six sacks this year, he's probably going to be right back to where he was. Four years, $68 million, with 42 guaranteed, which is what Grady Jarrett just got. That's the difficult part of this. The floor for him, even if he has an average season, is probably getting paid like Grady Jarrett, which is what the Chiefs want to pay him right now. The ceiling for him, if he has a really good year, not quite what he had this year, but a really good season, is probably what Frank Clark just got, which is what he's asking for now. So that's the tough part. If you're the team, you're saying, well, why would we pay you the Frank Clark deal now when that's basically the, the highest that you'll possibly get paid even if you have a really good year next year? And he's saying... 
well, why would I accept the Grady Jarrett money now if that's basically what I'm going to get paid even if I have a very average season next year? So the floor is what the team's offering him now. The ceiling is what he's asking for now. And those are going to continue being the same numbers after the season. That's why it becomes difficult. That's why these negotiations can go sideways sometimes. That's why people get frustrated. And so the reporting from Nate Taylor is that the Chiefs are anticipated to sit down with Chris Jones at some point this weekend with the general manager, the head coach, the owner in the room with Chris Jones, and potentially, I would assume, his representation, and they'll try to get something done. I just don't know if they're going to be able to close this gap. If Chris Jones is unwilling to come off of the Frank Clark number, I don't think something gets done. If he's willing to negotiate, if he's actually willing to potentially meet in the middle, that's when I think potentially something could get done. The one other thing that I wanted to mention here is the only thing that people seem to talk about when it comes to the Chiefs, when it comes to a question on the offense, is tied into. You just heard it from Pete Sweeney. Pete Sweeney says, I've been talking about it all offseason. They didn't have a backup tight end earlier. They still don't have a backup tight end now. Why do people care about this? Why? If Travis Kelsey is not going to be part on the field for any extended period of time, the offense changes. That's how it works. The offense is not the same when you lose out on the best tight end in football. That would have been the case if Demetrius Harris was the backup tight end. That's the case of this John Lovett character, who I believe is a guy that's on the Pod Save America podcast or potentially maybe one of the actors. I'm not sure who John Lovett is anymore. Whoever this guy is that's going to be the backup tight end, Deion Yelder's potentially in the mix, they don't matter. They don't. They're not going to change the way that the season goes for the Chiefs. Whether they sign somebody else that's coming in, whether it's somebody that's currently on the roster, whether they just decide we're only carrying one tight end over the course of the regular season, it doesn't matter. If the Chiefs lose Travis Kelsey for any extended period of time, the offense changes. Instead of going with the tight end in every situation, they're going to have a receiver out there. They'll put McCole Hardman on the field more often. They'll go with Demarcus Robinson more often. Garrick Dieter will become more involved in the offense. That's what changes. That's how you end up getting with the production that you lost from Travis Kelsey, it's going to go to guys like Sammy Watkins and Damian Williams and Tyreek Hill and maybe one of those other receivers. That's what changes. I just can't understand how tight end two is the thing that we've all brought ourselves to care about. Tight end two. Kramer, tight end two? We're talking about the backup tight end? You know how I know that this offense is going to be good. I know this offense is going to be good because people are talking about the backup tight end. If we're talking about going into camp, the backup tight end and the potential starting left guard, that's when you know this offense is going to be really damn good. They bring back the superstar quarterback. They bring back all of the offensive line, essentially, except for the guy that was always hurt. They bring back all of the receivers and added to the group. They bring back the entire coaching staff, which never happens. We're in a day and age when a Texas Tech head coach that got fired by Texas Tech got hired as an NFL head coach because he's really good at coaching offense. And the Chiefs, who just broke all of the offensive records, they have an offensive coordinator who was getting uh, interviews this offseason, and Eric Bieniemy, and nobody hired him. And they're like, ah, no, we're going to go ahead and skip on that. Meanwhile, the Chiefs are able to bring him back. They have their head coach back who calls the plays. They have their quarterback coach back. They have the quarterback, the running back, the tight end, the receivers, and they added to the mix. 
I just, this offense is going to be really good. It's going to be really, really, really good. I looked this up earlier today. Eight of the ten scoring off top ten scoring offenses in the history of the NFL have taken place since 2000, so over the last 20 years. Of them, the Chiefs were one last year, so now you're down to seven. The other seven offenses, there's only two that I think are fair comparisons to what this Chiefs team could be in the follow-up year. It's the 2013 Broncos, and it is the 2000 Rams. The 2000 Rams brought everybody back, including the coaching staff and all of the players. They ended up being the best offense in the league the next year. Kurt Warner threw for 4,800 yards and 36 touchdowns in 2000 when offenses were completely different than what they are today. The numbers were not as easy to come by. In 2013, Peyton Manning had his 5,500-yard and 55-touchdown season. They bring back everybody, including the offensive staff. The next year, 30 points per game. Manning throws for 4,700 yards and 39 touchdowns. For as much as we've talked about regression, for as much as we've talked about how this could take a step back, I'm starting to believe that this offense is going to be every bit as good as it was a year ago. Doesn't mean that Patrick Mahomes is going to throw for 50 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards. They've got a chance to do something truly special. It all starts today. Training camp up in St. Joe. We'll be out there. We hope you are as well. 3.15 is the time to meet. 3.30 is the time that practice begins. We'll all be up there. We're going to be out there throughout training camp in St. Joe. We'd love to see you today. We'd love to have you guys listening to the uh, Out of Bounds with Dusty Likens and Nick Price. They are coming up next. They'll take you up until 3 o'clock. They will keep you company as you make the drive up to St. Joe. We'll see you guys out there 315 for Kramer. I'm Brandon Kiley. Check out the podcast page at 610sports.com. Download the radio.com app. We'll be back next week. Out of Bounds next on 610 Sports Radio. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.